This is Ali, and this is what's in the podcast. Tonight we begin our new season of What in the Podcast by continuing our trek through haunted New Orleans. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to season four, episode one twenty one of What in a Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. So guess what, ladies? I'm a bad monkey. Bad monkey. Want to know why? Why? Because we hadn't started the new season of the show until now. Welcome to season four of What in the Podcast. How late are we? A um, couple weeks. <laughs> you got bonus episodes of the last of season three. That's, That's true. Yeah, yeah. True that. <laughs> but I mean, things got a little weird around here and everything. So we were trying to trying to play catch up and get everything done. And we didn't realize that we had actually kind of overlapped our season. So here we are with our season four, part two episode, where we're going to talk about Haunted New Orleans. Now I'm going to have a blonde moment because I am a triple B, blonde by birth and bleach bottle blonde. Wasn't our anniversary somewhere around the 4th of July, not around the 1st of June? I want to say it was closer to May. Okay. <laughs> I'd have to check back, but I'm pretty sure we're, we're right around that range. I'm just because yeah. I'm a blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I, I am. I swear I am. So how, how are you guys doing tonight? Grantie loves her little nieces. Grantie might hang them up by their toenails, but Grantie loves her little nieces. Mm-hmm. Auntie loves her nieces. She really, really does. And you're Grantie. talking. You're not talking about hers. You're talking about yours. Oh no! <laughs> I said Auntie. I am Auntie. She is Grantie. Yep. Your uncle. For those who are interested, we have recently taken in a couple kids. Um, they're. I don't don't want to say they're special needs, but they're in a situation where they kind of need a little extra help. Their auntie, who is their uh, guardian, cannot handle them all the time, which is fine. Mm -hmm. She needs a break, and I get that. Because even adults need to go, (sighs) otherwise we lose our minds. True Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, We did have some fun this week, though, didn't we? I don't know. Where do (laughs) we go? Oh, yeah, we went to Preston Castle for the Oddities Fair. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mike. Yes, thank you, Mike, if you're listening. That was great fun. It was lots of fun hanging out with we you. We appreciated being there. And Cheyenne and Andrew. There was a whole bunch and, of... And, and Susan. We can't forget Susan. There was a whole bunch of stuff there to buy, and I had I no money had to buy it with. <laughs> I loved the taxidermy. The girl, she's from Calusa, and I can't remember her name right now. I've got her card. She did. She did some of the most amazing taxidermy. I got to tell you, when, when I got there, I loved everything that they were selling, but it was the displays. I wanted the displays. As, well, no, we only wanted the coffin. Display. No, no, there were other ones so I saw there? that I wanted. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Wish you had been there, Tracy. It would have been a ton of fun. Unfortunately, 
I'm a little busy on weekends. <laughs> we know. Come on. Lady lady built had a had a coffin built that folded out into her display Play stand. With, yeah, it That's was amazing. Awesome. And all of her stuff, right? I saw people with uh, ornate spiders and they had built spider web displays to put the spiders on, you know. All, oh yeah, there's a lot of, of beading and crystal work, uh homemade soaps. Uh that soap we bought is so smells so good. I don't mm -hmm. want to use it though. It's so pretty. In trouble. You said soaps. I already have a soap addiction. I only have he, he, homemade body he ten has, bars in the kit the, the bathroom waiting to be put into rotation. See now she wants to go to the next one. And like <laughs> seven bars in the house because I bought one from with people that are local to you guys. Yep. The next one, the next Oddities Fair is in downtown Sacramento. To any of our listeners that are local, it is um, downtown Sacramento on the 29th of July, I believe. That's 2023 if anyone's listening. Yes, yes. anyone's listening in the future. <laughs> yes, if you're listening in the future, you've missed it. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it is July 29th of 2023. Uh, I think it starts in the morning around 9 o'clock, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, You're looking for the flyer right now, yes? I don't remember. Look it up. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> we'll look it up later on. Yeah, we'll look it up later. But it'll start in the morning, downtown, I Street. Um, you know, details details are easy to find. Just just look for the Oddities Fair website, and uh, I'm sure they're, they'll have information there for you, too. Okay. Did you find them? I think so. Okay, well, maybe <laughs> the rest of them are in there, then. The rest of what? The stickers, the uh, flyer, the card that had the flyer on it. That's oh, not right. it. That's People not it. That's not chaos. it. Chaos. There it is. Chaos. The next one is called the Menagerie. No, that's that's the one we went to. Never mind. I'm sorry. It's called the Freak Show. <laughs> <laughs> that is July 29th, shout as out I said. Too. Yeah, I'm going to give some shout outs tonight, too. Um, our first shout out. Goes to. Hey, don't want to finish off the, the thought for the 29th? Yes, July. I should do that. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, my I, wife distracts me. I'm I can't surf, but I, ha I have the clicker here. Okay, it's July 29, twenty twenty three. We got one of these from eleven a.m. to seven p.m. So it runs pretty long. It's going to be at the <clears throat> excuse me at the Sacopolis Library Galleria at eight twenty eight I Street in Sacramento. So oh, they, they have the oddities market, which was great fun, as we I were talking about. The they also are offering a taxidermy class for anybody who wants to learn how to taxidermy. Beetle pinning and a taxidermy, a mouse taxidermy class. They mm -hmm. fill up fast. They do the fill up fast. The beetle pinning is, I want to say, 65, and it's 125 for the taxidermy. Yep. So if, you, if you are interested in this, check it out. Buy your tickets online now. now. I'll even give you the website. It's The tickets are available at www deadevents.com Once again, that's www.deadevents.com <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, now it's time to get out, to get out some shout-outs <clears throat> because while we were at Preston Castle, I actually did network with some podcasters. You know, got, got some information from them. We might collaborate with these guys in the future. Um, the first one is a group, a couple girls called Frankie and Tish. And they host a podcast called You Didn't Ask, where they talk about all things paranormal like us. Now, remember, this was a goth festival, like so there's, you're going to find a lot of paranormal podcasts. I saw too. old school goth outfits on young kids. Good. It was shocking. No, I mean, it was shocking that it was like old school like stuff. When, yes, good. Yeah. I'm very happy that the, the new generation has passed by the kinderbat phase and gone back to reasonable phase. Kinderbat, I love that. 
What? But you're right. But what do you call it when you see it? It looks like a 12 year old. I know it's got to be at least 21 from Ed's Club. Uh-huh. In latex shorts, electrical tape across the nipples, and black fairy or black bat wings. It's yep. a kinder bat. Exactly. <laughs> it is what it is, yes. So let me look them up. I've got one more to do. The next podcast I want to shout out to is, uh, <clears throat> they're called PART, P-A-R-T. It stands for Paranormal Awesome Road Trip. They're a traveling podcast. I want to be They go to known haunted locations, investigate, talk about them. Sounds like a lot of fun. It's something I wish we could do. That would be awesome. Yeah. We just, we don't have the funding and, and that's where you the listeners actually come in. We need your help with stuff like that. If you'd like us to go check out these haunted places and travel around a little bit, if you like stuff. the podcast, yeah, <laughs> buy our stuff. Um, our, our websites, are, uh, let me back up. The merchandise is available on our Redbubble website. Oh, Go to Redbubble, look for Fox Feather or Fox Feather's Fancies, and you'll find them there. <clears throat> we got all sorts of merchandise from what the podcast there. Get the information from you later, though. Am I interrupting something? <laughs> she's feeding my soap addiction by saying here sniff this way oh, okay. learn this this guy does, he's from oakland and he does uh homemade body wash and soaps and the soap has a picture of the it's old school monsters like the um the bride of frankenstein this one's the phantom i guess or and yep. he got some gold, like i think he's got like a swamp monster one this he's one's probably, actually bella lugosi everything because i think that's bella's face I'm no this is um lon cheney Okay. I think this one's Lon Chaney. But yeah, this all glycerin soaps. He's got body washes and mm-hmm. he's based out of Oakland. He was at the at the thing this weekend. It smells really good. Yep. I could not pass up the soap. I had to. Hey, I was cool with it. That was the best smelling soap in the book. They're all good, but that was the best one. I really didn't care for the other ones. I like that one best. I like I like one or two of the other ones okay, but this one's my favorite. You know, when it comes to smell sometimes I'm a little weird on it, but that's just me. That's just you. You're, You're a little weird. Looking at being you. your own person. That's right. I know. How dare you? How dare I? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think we've talked people's ears off enough. You know, check those check those events out. Check out those podcasts. They're friends of ours now. We'd love to. We'll we will in the future possibly be collaborating with them. So we might have them on our show at some point, and you know, vice versa, because they will definitely return the favor. Um, if you want to shout out your podcast on our show, uh, we want you to. Yes, please. We are okay with that. Send me a message. Say, hey, I have got this podcast. Will you give us a shout out? Or if you want to collaborate, we're willing to do that oh, too. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes, they, please. Were talking, yes, please. they were talking to us about maybe doing a show once a month or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be awesome. So, that would be cool. Um, but yeah, they were talking. It doesn't have to be a long one, just a little blurby thing or something. Can you tell we were excited? We were. No. We, were we were just all sorts <laughs> of cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's 10 minutes into the podcast. So let's uh, actually get started with our <laughs> program tonight. <laughs> so we're doing the second part of uh, Haunted New Orleans. And I'm going to mention the uh, this person specifically because a lot of what we got came from his writings. And he's a very funny man. If you were listening to the last one we did, it was, it was very quippy and very fun to listen to. Uh, the author's name is Michael DeMocker. He's been a photojournalist in New Orleans for over 20 years. He's been the National Press Photographer Association's Regional Photographer of the, of the year three times and loves photographing, photographing, sorry, <laughs> all things New Orleans. 
He lives uptown with his wife, son, and two dogs of varying intelligence. <laughs> sounds like my house. Only yep. three dogs of varying intelligence. Yep. So, um, who, who wants to start? I guess I can start. Okay, well, when, we, when last we left off, we left off with... The Haunting of the Octoroon Mistress. Ooh. <laughs> now I'm going to giggle because at Evangeline's, mm -hmm. Frank really prefers the Octoroon type girls. And he will goose you if you're up on a ladder and you are of mixed blood. Just saying. It's kind of fitting that I got this one. Cool. <laughs> Read on. <laughs> so the Haunting of the Octoroon Mistress is a ghost tale about the haunting of house on 734 Royal, sorry, Royal Street, not Royal, let's say it rightly, in New Orleans, Louisiana. I am not trying to twang. I will twang, but I'm not trying to I don't to know twang. if you're caging, you might say Royale. Royale, yeah. Royale with cheese. Anyway. <laughs> the background. <laughs> Suddenly I'll be speaking in French. The Haunting of the Octoroon House is founded on 19th century cultural etiquette surrounding the race, surrounding race in New Orleans. The term Octoroon is used for people of New Orleans in the 19th century that were one-eighth black, seven-eighths white. These Octoroons were known as Creoles of color. Relationships, relationships between Octoroons and elite Creoles of New Orleans were prohibited, but young men commonly had strong attractions to Octoroon women because of their beauty, because their, but because of their social status, Creole men and Octoroon women were prohibited from marrying. Octoroon balls were used as a way for rich girls to obtain an Octoroon mistress. Creole men and Octoroon women used these balls to form relationships where they mutually benefited. Most men have families aside from the Octoroon mistress and would often keep their affairs secret. The synopsis of the legend. <clears throat> Supposedly, an Octoroon woman named Julie occupied the Royal Street house in the 1850s. Julie met and fell in love with a very handsome and rich Frenchman. The Frenchman, To the Frenchman, Julie was his secret lover. But to Julie, the Frenchman was much more. She desperately wanted to marry the Frenchman, but he repeatedly denied her request of marriage because of her social status. After months of begging, the Frenchman devised a test that he thought would prove Julie's love to him. He told her that he was going to play a card game downstairs with some of his friends. While he was entertaining guests, he wanted her to strip off her clothing and wait on the rooftop until he was done. The Frenchman thought Julie would not take this request seriously and continued to entertain his friends. Julie was desperate to show how undeniable her, for, sorry, her undeniable love for the Frenchman, so she immediately undressed, waited on the rooftop for her lover return, waiting patiently in the cold and damp December air for her lover. When the Frenchman finally made his way to bed, he realized that she was nowhere to be found. He had not thought to, that he that she took the request seriously. They ran up the rooftop to look for her. When he got there, he saw her naked, frozen body in a corner, waiting patiently for him to return. The death of Julie put the Frenchman into a deep depression because he really loved Julie. Some versions of the legend say she that he died a few months later of a broken heart. Can you imagine that? Saying, if you love me, meet me up on the rooftop naked. Well, I entertain my friends. Entertain well, I my play, friends. Well, and I'll come up when, when we're done. Oops. Goes to bed and thinks, oh my God, I forgot about Julie. Yeah. Next thing you know, she's gone. Yep. Haunting. That's terrible. Uh, supposedly, <laughs> she said to haunt the house in which she recited. Some say on a cold and damp December night, one can see her figure pacing on the rooftop waiting for her lover to return. Her ghost supposedly roams the floors of the house, but her presence is a friendly room. The house is now home to the bottom of the teacup psychic readings, and many employees and customers claim to have had many encounters with her. They often note her as playful and energetic, with many giggles being heard from room to room. The Frenchman ghost is also supposedly, supposedly roams the garden outside, and people who have encountered him said the spirit seems sad. Gee, I wonder why. I have to wonder when they see the ghost on the rooftop. Does she ever close on? 
good question. Because I don't know, I don't know that'd be frightening, frightening or enticing. If it's a memory, she probably doesn't. You know, from a male perspective, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or a female, you know, it depends on how you swing. Anyway. Good question. Yeah. Either way, it's kind of it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean. I mean, really, I love you. You want to test me? Fine. I will do this. And then you forgot because it was just a silly test to you. I didn't think she'd take it seriously. Yeah. Guess what, dude? She, she did. did. Anyway, who'd like to do the next one? Okay. Just a second. Sorry, my phone's dying. Oh, no. Eek, eek, eek. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry. Not the dying phone. Okay. I'll Get find the that. prong stat. <laughs> the ghost of an. I'm sorry, what? You plug one into A, one into B. I Clear. Yeah, if I actually knew where the cord was. That's what problem. Things keep miss going around, going missing. Get the paddles. Clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you done now? Possibly. Right. Only if you're ready to start. Otherwise, I got to entertain still. I've tried to start twice now. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. The ghost of New Orleans, Monk Pierre Dagobert de Longre, is one of the most frequently seen and heard spirits. Not every ghost that haunts New Orleans is some malevolent specter paying for their evil deeds in the afterlife or lingering victim of a tragic demise. One particular ghost is a heroic singing 18th century icon who clearly loves New Orleans too much to leave it. Pierre Dagobert de Dagobert, Dagobert de Longore was a Capuchin monk who moved to New Orleans from Quebec in 1722. I'll give you credit for trying to say it. Yes. I was having trouble. Okay. <laughs> trying, just trying to read along and say it in my head. He was short and plump or tall and handsome, depending on the source. <laughs> he was that's either short and plump or he was tall and handsome. very different extremes. Yes. Sorry. He was a tall, short man. But he was plump he was, and handsome. And, and yeah. Depending on the source, for the next half century, he he was <clears throat> excuse me beloved a beloved spiritual and community leader. In true New Orleans fashion, he enjoyed his food, wine, and music. He was said to have a beautiful baritone singing voice. His charity to the poor, his attendance at neighborhood social events, and his treatment of the sick and downtrodden made him a hugely popular figure to the people of New Orleans. The Rebellion. In 1768, a group of French Creoles in New Orleans, upset and fearful after they had suddenly and unexpectedly been put under Spanish rule, kicked out the Spanish governor Antonio de Ula, 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 Uloa, Uloa. Oyola. Oyola. Spain did not take kindly to this rebellion and sent Alejandro Bloody O'Reilly to take over the military governor the following year, as military governor the following year. On October 25th, 1769, at Fort St. Charles on Esplanade Avenue, now the site of the U.S. Mint, O'Reilly hung or had shot, depending on the sources, the five surviving ringleaders, Joseph Vilvier, and the sixth ringleader had been bayoneted resisting, uh, resisting arrest. To reinforce his whole rebellion equals bad message o'reilly is said to have ordered the bodies of the five men to remain unburied displayed on the levee across from the church of saint louis where pierre de dagobert was the priest i can i, I can believe that actually. dagobert excuse me it's dagobert mm -hmm. no dago dago is right so. 
the families of the executed man went to O'Reilly, pleading that their blood, their loved ones receive a Catholic burial. But he was a jerk about the whole thing, insisting the bodies continue to rot where they were. Watched under heavy guard by some of the two thousand plus Spanish soldiers he had brought with him to New Orleans. A proper burial. So if they move, shoot them. <laughs> They're going to move when they decompose their gas and all sorts of nasty stuff happens. Anyway. I mean the families if they take them. I know. <laughs> the story goes that on a stormy night, Dagbert, Dagobert gathered the family members at the church and told them to wait with a few assistants until the priest marched up to the levee and gathered the five corpses despite the many shoulders about. As the bodies were carried through the rain from the levee to the church for a funeral mass, Tagabert belted out Kyrie, the traditional hymn, not the Mr. Mr. Oh, version. It's Kyrie. Kyrie? <laughs> yes. After the Mass, a funeral procession took the coffins of all five men to be buried at Old St. Louis Cemetery, number one. Amazingly, Dagobert pulled all this off without a single Spanish guard raising an alarm. It is said they did not hear or see a thing, and no footprints, footprints were found at the cemetery. Facts that convinced the New Orleans... Or New Orleans, that Pierre Dagobert had performed a miracle. Dagobert died in 1776, 12 years before his Church of St. Louis burned to the ground in the Great New Orleans Fire of 1788. The destruction of the old church led to the construction of what would become the current St. Louis Cathedral. So he was able to sneak in and take those bodies without a single Spanish guard. They were sleeping on the job. He had, yeah. <laughs> that would be my guess. They were sleeping on the job. A voice in the mist. Today, the ghost of Dagobert is one of the most frequently seen and heard spirits in the city, particularly early on rainy mornings. His ghost is described as a mist that forms into a sandal-clad, robe-wearing monk who makes his way from the front of the cathedral down Pirate's Alley, which runs along the west side and through the iron-gated St. Anthony's Garden, in the rear of the building. During his nocturnal treks, the ghost sings his signature Kyrie and other 18th century hits like Te Duum. Te Duum. Duum. It's said that the performances can go on for some time until he finally slips through a locked door at the back of the building. Others claim to witness an entire ghostly funeral procession as Dagobert eter eternally leads the coffins of the slain Creole rebels to the cemetery. By the way, the singing spirit of Dagobert isn't the only ghostly monk spotted around St. Louis Cathedral. Antonia de Sedella, the Spanish capuchin who succeeded Dagobert as a priest at the Church of St. Louis, like Dagobert, and Pierre Antoine was a remarkable, pop, remarkably popular priest who clashed with the governing authorities. In spite of the fact he, did, he died in 1829, Pierre Antoine continues to take early morning strolls down the alley to the east side of the cathedral. The Tate Day bears his name. He is also said to be seen at the annual Christmas Midnight Mass at St. Louis Cathedral, singing along while clutching a lit candle. Excuse me. On a final note, Frenchman Street was named in honor of the five rebels accused, executed in 1769. The Spanish governor, Ule, Ula, Ula, We'll just call him Uloa. Uloa. And O'Reilly got his streets. What? It's Spanish. I think it should be Uyoa. Uyoa. Oh, yeah. The two, the the two L's. L's. Make an L yeah. or make a Y. But Spanish is hard as English. Yeah. 
Actually, English is harder. Harder. English is the hardest to learn. English takes languages listen. in the middle of the You know English is hard. We can't me. speak it at all. <laughs> but we, we do the best we can. All of our life. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the governors, Uloa, Ia, and uh, O'Reilly got, yeah. got streets named for them as well. Pierre Antoine, of course, has his alley next to the cathedral. New Orleans definitely needs a Pierre Dagobert street. I would agree. I agree. Considering yep. that they, they felt it was a um that he a miracle. A miracle right, yes. they didn't do it. I don't know. Well yeah, I mean he took down five dead men and buried by himself. And did a funeral procession and buried them. Got them away, did a funeral procession, buried them mm -hmm. without the Spanish guards even knowing what happened. Singing the entire way. Yes. Singing. And he was singing. Singing Kyrie. Maybe that's how he distracted them. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I was singing a baritone voice. Sometimes a lower register, if, if the guards it's are asleep, lulling. won't hear them. It's a lulling thing. Yes. Yep. So the next story is uh, one that I have heard before and kind of, I want to say, I, I don't want to say it's one of my favorites because it's pretty, pretty bloody story. I'm going to, I'm going to get into it anyway. Okay. It's no, slaughter at the Sultan's French Quarter Palace in Gardet Le Pretre House. Blood pouring onto the streets. Scores of hacked limbs strewn about a stately mansion. The Sultan's brother buried alive in the garden. Wild parties, foreign intrigue, mass murder, brutal revenge, sex, pirates. And in the aftermath, the macabre haunting of one of the French Quarter's most venerable buildings. Let us journey back nearly three centuries, for that is when our limb-flopping tale begins. <laughs> Meantime, my brain's like, hey, Grandpa? Wait, no. It was Next? told better. <laughs> I can only do so much. <laughs> so let's talk about the mystery sultan here. In the beginning of 1727, a French vessel of war landed at New Orleans, a man of, ha of haughty mane, who wore the Turkish dress and whose whole attendance was a single servant. Thus begins the tale of the Tree of the Dead in Charles Garry's Gayaris, sorry, 1867 book, History of Louisiana. The shadowy traveler moved into a small house at the corner of Orleans Avenue and Dauphine, and Dauphine Street. While Governor Etienne Perrier, 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 Perrier. okay, I got it now, <laughs> like the drink. Yep. Governor Etienne Perrier sought to stifle inquiries into the enigmatic resident. The wags decided that the mysterious stranger was a brother of the Sultan or some great personage of the Ottoman Empire. Of course, if they'd had ye old Google, <laughs> they realized the reigning sultan at the time, Ahmed III, had no surviving brothers. That's right. He survived. They didn't. Later that year, a sinister Turkish vessel appeared in the Bay of Baratari, and on a frightful stormy night, complete with barking dogs and bolts of lightning, there appeared a body of men who wore the scowling appearance of malefactors and ministers of blood. I love the way he's writing, which was also the name of my thrash metal band in college, he says. <laughs> the next morning, the mysterious stranger had disappeared, but a freshly dug grave was found in his courtyard. A marble tablet with an engraving in Arabic was sent to France with the phrase, the date after, or the date tree shall grow on the traitor's grave. Soon after, a date tree sprouted from the dirt of the grave, the tree of the dead. 
Wait, you say, where are the rivers of blood that and hack limbs promised in your compelling opening paragraph? Hang on, we'll get there. Opium and incense. The tale is picked up in the 1922 book Legends of Louisiana by Helen Pitkin Schwartz. Now the year has shifted from 1727 to 1792, and the mysterious foreigner arrives with a large entourage at the port of New Orleans. The stranger is revealed to be the brother of the Sultan himself. In 1792, the Cyan, the, okay, in 1792, the, uh, the Selim III was the Sultan who did indeed have a younger brother who died in 1772 at the age of five, or did he? The now undead former five-year-old rents the stately mansion of super citizen Jean-Baptiste Lepretier. Can you say the last name, please? Uh, try that again. Jean-Baptiste Lepretier. Thank you. <laughs> and immediately he fills the home with trunks of silk and jewels, servants, family members, his harem, and a eunuch or two. One or two, yes. While parties ensue, the smell of opium and incense wafts into the street. Loud laughter and music are the norm. But the morning after, one such soiree, the milkman finds the house strangely quiet while making his delivery. Eventually, the authorities force their way in and find the handsome brother of the sultan on a couch with his head nearly severed. Five slaughtered members of his harem surrounding him. Was it a violent robbery by pirates, at some, at, as some surmise, or a bloody political assassination? No one knew, but soon the hauntings began, according to Schwartz, Girlish laughter would ring from the third etage at times. There is a strain of song reported, a man's pleading and abrupt silence followed by a poignant groan. By poignant groans, sorry, multiple. Holy water has proved ineffective in laying the little veiled figures with, evan with evanescence through the corridors and up stairways, moaning in flight. Such was the ghastly, ghostly scene in the Leprit. Yeah, I cannot say it. Thank you, Mansion in 1792, despite it not being built until 1836. The question is, how do they pronounce it in Arlene's? Because I pronounce it for how my teachers would, would tell me. I don't know, in, but the important part is I can't pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> so it could be Pretry? I don't know. Uh, just putting those two R's where they are makes it hard for me. Oh, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, time passes. New stories now begin in 1836 with the mansion now conveniently built. A man arrives in New Orleans, Louisiana, claiming to be the Sultan, but is actually the Sultan's brother named Suleiman, who has absconded with the Sultan's wealth and harem. He rents the house from that guy <laughs> and crams it with treasures. Muhammad II, who reigned until 1839, the same year as that guy, bought the mansion, did have an older brother, Suleiman, who died in 1786, just before turning seven. Or did he? Long story short, Miff Sultan sends assassins over on a boat. 48 people in the house get chopped up. Rivers of blood flow into the streets. Sultan's bro gets buried alive in the courtyard and suffers a terrible Airbnb review from that guy. La Pretre. Hey, I got it. Awesome. So the guard at the Prete house, I messed it up there. Okay. While clearly the stories evolved, as stories do with time and retelling, one owner of the of that place, sorry, I cannot say the name, sorry. So the owner of the place, now a collection of apartments, 
did admit in an interview that odd occurrences do take place in the building, like keys which disappear only to reappear later. People continue to report the smell of exotic incense on the streets outside the building. Tenants claimed to have seen the spirit of the Sultan himself dressed in robes and a turban standing at the foot of their beds. The falling death of a woman hanging laundry on an upper floor balcony was blamed on vengeful spirits. The veiled faces of the slain members of the harem are said to be seen peering mournfully out of upstairs windows. Ghosts of the Sultan's entourage are said to move about the building, and the sounds of footsteps can be heard running about in panic or climbing up the stairs. And the screams, always the screams in the middle of the night as the ghostly dismembered victims of the so-called Sultan's Palace relive for eternity their terrible slaughter, despite there being no contemporary record of it ever actually having. While today's sensationalized grisly tales of the Sultan's dismembered household don't align well with history, eerie happenings continue to be reported at the corner of Dauphine and Orleans. Could these events actually be the ghostly echoes rooted in the original story of a mysterious Turkish gentleman killed by assassins on a stormy night in 1727? Perhaps for illumination, we should take advice from the closing lines of Giari's 1867 history of the killing, which states, at that hour, when evil spirits are allowed to roam over the earth and magical incantations are made, go and interrogate the tree of the dead. Okay. I hope you guys enjoyed that, because I sure did. <laughs> Even it, if it's a tongue twister. Oddly enough, as bloody as the story is, this is actually one of my favorite New Orleans stories. Because supposedly the place is haunted. Supposedly it was inhabited by a sultan, or maybe not. Uh, but it was a Turkish man of, of wealth and whatnot. And he may not have even existed. But the place is still haunted. And could that be could that be an actual spirit or could this be the manifestation of something because it's kind of permeated into the uh, the, the fabric of the story itself? Good question. You know, it could ha be either. You know, hauntings can be. My understanding is hauntings can be done two ways: either they're spiritual hauntings because someone has died in the house, or the house has got such a reputation that it people's minds are actually generating these spirits. Yeah. Either way, it's kind of fun to think about. Just a little bit. And the story about the Sultan and the assassination, that's that's something. <laughs> At least the way it was told here, I love yes. it. Anyway. Um, he does believe in repeating the name 85 times. Oh, my God. How many times <laughs> can you say La Breche? I, still, I cannot Pre say it. I said it one time right and messed it up the rest but of the time. you're saying it kind of Italian because you're doing a R in the front instead of the R Which is back. really funny because I can't roll my R's any other time. But anyway, um, who's next? So it would be me. Okay. With the old Charlton Jail okay. and the ghostly prisoners. That and, I, and I promise I'll be with any words you can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> That's more stuff than we can. I know. Trust me. Uh, if it's French, definitely. Oh, yeah. Only because I read way too many books. That's okay. So, a startling headline greeted New Orleans in the final days of the 19th century. Real ghost story. The old Carlton jail is said to be haunted. The ghostly tales didn't waft out to get out of the drunk tank, nor did they scream and get paddled. Sorry, did they scream from a paddles, padded sail, cell? Oh, my goodness. That Forget was, the names. You can't say padded. I can't say the word padded and cell. <laughs> Hmm, maybe I need a paddle, anywho. Uh, 
don't, I don't need it. I don't need a paddle. I need to paddle. This is a family show. Don't be kinky. <laughs> the witnesses to these otherworldly events were nine peculiarly level-headed and unimaginative men, members of the police force. The October 21st, 1899 edition of the New Orleans Times Democrat went on to trumpet. Many police officers tell of unaccountable things. Dorman Foster says he met a dead sergeant. Sergeant Clifton describes the antics of bewitched furniture. The deathly gallows, not to be confused with the deathly hollows. The two-story Jefferson Parish prison called Carlton Jail by the locals stood at the Hampton and short streets behind the Carlton Courthouse. At the time, Carlton was still part of Jefferson Parish. The bland brick jail building was dull. It was a dull contrast to the stately Greek Revival Courthouse next door. The complex was built in 1854, the same year that the public executions were banned in New Orleans, driving executions to, onto the courtyards of prisons. There were gallows at the Carlton Jail's courtyard upon which many a man was hanged, according to the Times Democrat. Even if you didn't have a date for the gallows, the prison was repeatedly a horrible place to find yourself, with suicides common and disease atrocities running amok. A bit of 19th century frontier justice was also apparently not unknown. Two men who had killed and dismembered a girl were strung up by an angry mob in the jail's courtyard. Another story tells of a husband caught for the murder of his wife. He had tried to dispose of her body by dissolving her in lye and turning what was left into soap. Either outraged cops or angry mob, maybe both, beat the man to death before he could even be tried. But as he lay dying against the wall of the jail, he swore to avenge himself. I'll explain it. Sorry, explain it. <clears throat> I can't. In 1889, sorry, 1899, newspaper story about the prison recounts the story of a sofa pushed up against the wall. Some say the very wall where a murderous husband died that would violently eject anyone who tried to lay down on it. Sergeant, <clears throat> Sergeant William Clifton, who ran what was now called the Ninth Precinct Jail, confirmed the tales of, of the possessed wall, telling a reporter, I can tell what happened easy enough, but I can't explain it. I can't. Clifton noted how the sofa would be pushed several feet from the wall for no reason, and how a portrait of General Beauregard fell from the wall and shattered. A female acquaintance leaned against the wall while speaking to Clifton and suddenly was pushed away. Curious, she leaned against it again, only to be shoved back anew. Officers who repeated the act were, forced, were forcefully propelled as if by a pair of invisible hands. An officer Foster reported seeing a woman waiting for Sergeant Clifton at his desk. Only when he approached them, they vanished. Foster told the reporter, it was so sudden, so absolutely inexcusable, sorry, inexplicable, that I couldn't believe my senses. I stood there for a moment, literally paralyzed with amazement. The stories say that there were a pair of women guilty of killing their common lover by cutting out, cutting out his liver, but they were frequently visited by ghosts in the jail. Foster goes on to tell another tale of meeting a Sergeant Shoemaker in the office of the jail on summer's evening in July, a year after Shoemaker died. The former Sergeant, well known to Foster, vanished without a word, just like the two women had. The processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. Officers, officers assigned to the old ninth often heard mysterious footsteps and dodged objects thrown by invisible hands. A portrait of Admiral Dewey was seen to spin on its nail. Three officers witnessed a ghostly pale bearded man drift by them and disappear. An officer Crowley said he was throttled by an unseen entity in the courtroom that previously was a bank of four holding cells for prisoners awaiting execution. While many of the cops stated that they didn't believe in ghosts, they did admit how to uh, they did admit whatever they had experienced defied explanation. English is hard. 
Strange happenings also visited upon prisoners. Some reported cold hands in their faces in the night, blankets ripped off their bodies, late night brawls between ghosts occur occurring in their cells. Cell number three was said to be especially haunted. The story was that the years before in cell three, there were three prisoners who had committed heinously violent crimes. One chopped up his parents, another drowned four babies. All killed each other in, in a bloody brawl, bloody overnight brawl. Their violence continued to echo for eternity, leaving many prisoners in the cell of the bloody three afraid after a night's stay. The ghosts Pris won't shut up. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, prison of today. After New Orleans annexed Carlton in 1874, the courthouse was closed and later became McDowell 23, sorry, McDonald 23 school, which operated on the spot until 1950. The prison was closed uh, in 1932 after, that makes no sense, it was courthouse, became a school that operated until 50, but the prison was closed in 32 after parents complained the prisoners housed next to the school were rowdy and unpleasant. Sorry, okay, it didn't click in my head at first, I apologize. Mm -hmm. When the dilapidated jail was finally torn down in 1937, workmen reported seeing ghostly shapes rising from the dust of the, of the destruction. Some with broken necks, others bulging eyes of the executed, others escaping wraith-like from bricks that confined them in, in life and in death. The Carlton Courthouse continued to serve after McDonald 23 closed, subsequently housing the Ben Franklin High School, uh, Lusher Middle School, and Audubon Charter School before being vacated in 2013. The Orleans Parish School Board sold the building at auction in 2017 for $4.7 million uh, to Houston developers for a senior living center. Oh dear, that's probably gonna be a safe one. Today the courthouse still stands empty, while behind it, weeds break through the cracked concrete playground and the courtyard grows gallows once stood, surrounded by brick walls of the prison that evil could not escape. Can you imagine putting a bunch of elderly people in a haunted location? I'm sitting here scratching my head right now because it started out as a prison, they turned it into a school, and, and then another school, and then another school before it became a senior center. Well, it hasn't senior center yet. Right, right. <laughs> not yet, but... But but that's the plan. Exactly. <laughs> that was nothing to do with you. It keeps taking so me to gonna, the So we're going to put the old and possibly dying along with the dead. Yes. So they can freak out and see the dead. Meanwhile, you've had they, this. They say the closer these... you are to death, the more, the, the more sensitive you, you are. Mm -hmm. So, so here is your grandmother lying in repose. Meanwhile, across see, the room, seeing her, her, her husband, who's passed on, seeing her uncle, her beloved uncle, and then comes a crook neck bulge-eyed because he was hung from the neck. Mm. No. Yeah, that kind of makes the whole idea <laughs> going into the afterlife a little disconcerting. <laughs> no. Granty says no. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. No, like I said, I just scratched my head. They turned into several schools and then whatever. Anyway, your turn, dear. The plague, the promise, and the ghost of St. Roche Cemetery. The ghost dog. ghost dog. Ghost dog of yes, St. Roche there Cemetery. You go. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I apologize to our listeners. I am fried. I apologize. I'm sober. I'm just fried. <laughs> really quick, I'm going to take a sip. Okay. I'm also losing my voice. Kissing she's sober, but she's taking a sip. Of tea. Of and it's iced not, tea. It's not even a Long Island iced tea. No, it's just, it's not, even su <laughs> it's not even sweetened iced tea. It's just regular iced tea. You hedonist. Oh, I know. I'm horrible. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this one. A priest and a dog walk into a cemetery and never leave. But um boom But um boom Okay. <laughs> the story of the ghosts of St. Roche Cemetery began in the middle of an epic 
epidemic, excuse me, epidemic, because you can't hear enough about epidemics these days, right? <laughs> During, this is obviously running around around the, the time of COVID. <laughs> and this is the pre-Spanish flu epidemic. This is the one yep. before that. Mm -hmm. So uh, during the, eight, the 1867 outbreak of yellow fever in New Orleans, German immigrant Reverend Peter Leonard Thevis was the, bat, was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church. Currently, the Marigny, Marigny Opera, House, Opera House in at 725 St. Ferdinand Street. To protect his congregation from the deadly virus, the good priest prayed to St. Roche, patron saint of plagues and epidemics. Okay, I didn't... They got a, they got a saint There's for a, everything. I, I should know I'm Catholic, or I was Catholic, but... St. Roche was an early 14th century figure born in Montpellier, France, who ministered to the sick in Italy during an epidemic. He is famous for several acts of miraculous healing before becoming sick himself, going into self-quarantine in a forest. He was kept alive by a dog who brought him food, which is why St. Roche is also the patron saint of dogs. After his death, people prayed for him, for him, to him for medical miracles, especially when the Black Death swept through Europe later in the century. As yellow fever raged through the city of New Orleans in 1867, Reverend Thevis made a vow to St. Roche that he would build a chapel to the saint if the fever didn't kill any of his parishioners. Well, the outbreak in 1867 did kill over 3,000 people in Louisiana. Louisiana, I can talk really. His congregation was spared as the virus disappeared like a miracle. Thevis kept his promise. He purchased the land on what is today St. Roche Avenue and in 1875 built the promised St. Roche Chapel as well as the St. Roche Cemetery No. 1 to serve his congregation. A few years later, he opened St. Roche Cemetery Number no. 2, but he died in 1893 before he could see the mortuary chapel he planned completed. Reverend Thevis was interned in the floor in front of the altar in the chapel he built as a promise to St. Roche. But apparently he didn't, he wasn't done watching over his flock. Well, yeah, you open two chains, you got to keep, you got to keep them in business. You're funny. <laughs> Damn. You know you're twisted, right? Oh, just a little bit, just yeah. Just a little. You know, I'm just as bad. Why can't I can't complain? Today, a wrought iron gate, entrance gate on St. Roche Avenue is flanked by two angels, angels, statues who reportedly lost their wings in a long-ago hurricane, which is just so New Orleans. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. really is. The St. Roche Chapel looms ahead, an inscription over the door reading, The National Shrine of St. Roche, Patron Saint of Miraculous Cures, in Fulfillment of a Vow, 1875. Off the right side of the Gothic-style blue ceiling chapel is a small room containing an eclectic, an eclectic excuse me, collection of offerings of thanks to St. Roche brought by pilgrims, crushes, braces, plaster casts of healed limbs, and various other tokens of gratitude. While the chapel is currently closed for renovation, you can see these items through a barred window on the south of west or west bank side of the chapel. As if these ex votos aren't odd enough. I did that right, right? Yeah. People have reported a robed ghost, possibly Reverend Thiefus himself, that walks in the pathways of the graveyard at night, benevolently watching over the tombs. The ghost has also been seen inside the chapel that Revis, that St. Thevis, Reverend Thevis built. I can talk, really. I can't. I swear. You just can't decide if he's a saint or a reverend. Yeah, I'm t well, he was a reverend. Well, either way, he's watching his chains. Saint, Ro saint Roche, but he was a reverend. Yep, Got to keep those chains busy. Messages from beyond the grave. Another spooky tale from St. Roche Cemetery comes from the early 20th century 
and involves a young woman named Carrie who was madly in love with a young man named Jimmy. He gave her a bunch of roses in three different colors, telling her to break the code he was sending. It turned out that the number of each color of roses represented the number of a letter of the alphabet. In this case, ILC, or I love Carrie. This is how people texted back before cell phones. Oh, Anyhow. Kind of better than texting on a phone. texting. Sorry. And that commercial bugs me. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> it does. I was looking over. I was like, seriously? God. Anyway. Anyhow, long story short, Jimmy proposed on Mardi Gras. World War One breaks out. Jimmy enlists. Jimmy leaves. Jimmy dies. Jimmy gets buried in St. Roche Cemetery. Carrie plants a rose bush by his tomb, and her heart goes on despite losing Jimmy. Soon, a well-to-do suitor from out of town pursues her and proposes. Carrie goes to Jimmy's grave in St. Roche, unsure of whether of whether she can accept a proposal from this handsome but sketchy beau. She begs her fallen fiancé for an answer to whether she should accept the proposal of marriage. Suddenly, roses bloom on the rose bush by his tomb, 14 red and 15 blue, and... He had he he had Rose texted texted her no from beyond the grave. So Carrie the colors represented the N and the O and the word no. Yes, Carrie accepted on could have been on yes marriage it. is on. Carrie accepted the Rose's message and refused the proposal. The bachelor took it badly, disappearing into the night. A couple of days later, word came from the NOPD had arrested the suitor for previously marrying and killing two Creole girls to get at their fortunes. The spirit of Jimmy in St. Rose Cemetery had saved Carrie. Rose heart ghost emoji. <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> perhaps it was Carrie's undying love and good fortune that led to another St. Rose Cemetery legend. It is said that the single women who come to the cemetery on Good Friday to pray to St. Rose for a husband will have their wishes granted. Sounds more like they need to uh, pray to Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jamie's got the answer. Only for her. But probably. only in Rose texting. And only in her for her. Okay, I guess it's my turn now, huh? It is your turn. Okay. You're so this one is called the Marigny's Madam Mini Canal in her oil ghost terrier. So another dog, another ghost dog. So, oh boy. <laughs> Let's try this, Madam Minuri Canal was a solitary woman who lived alone with her beloved white terrier in the 1830s Creole-style townhouse at 2606 Royal Street early in the 20th century. She was well-known in her Faubourg Marigny neighborhood, but while she always had a smile for her neighbors, she rarely stopped to talk when walking her little dog on the block. Uh, her despair became just too much because of a haunted heartbreak here. What her neighbors didn't know was the heartbreak she battled on a daily basis. Her son had suddenly disappeared from the house one day, never to return. Her husband allegedly died fighting in the Spanish-American War, which took place in Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Pacific from April to August of 1898. One afternoon, her despair became too much to take. It said Madame Minuri Canal came home after a walk, went up to the third floor attic and strangled the little white dog. She then climbed on a chair and hung herself from a ceiling beam. Either she really loved that dog or she really hated that dog. Little column A, little column B. But either way, she was taking the dog with her. 
So in the aftermath of the Second World War, the ghost of Madame Minuri Canal began to appear in the house, which is now inhabited by the many members of the Ruiz family. The, house, the sounds of wailing was heard along with the patter of footsteps, both human and canine. The ceiling beams were said to creak as if holding a profound swaying weight. The spirit of the madam herself, wearing a white dress, would be seen coming down the attic stairs with protruding eyes and a crooked neck. She could be spotted at various times all over the house, sometimes accompanied by her ghostly terrier, despite the loyalty-stretching circumstances of his demise. Well, the dog's loyal. I'm not so sure she was. Well, if you think about it, she, she's taking herself out instead of letting him suffer in the house by himself. She thought maybe she was... I guess you could look at it that way. I don't know. Of course, if she let the dog live, she, she might have been dinner. Uh, who knows? Yeah, because it only takes like one, not three days before a cat starts eating you. Yep. That's where our minds go. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, the spectral visit soon took a dark turn. The, Ru the Ruiz grandmother awoke one night to the sound of a crying baby. And when she went to investigate, saw the figure of a woman bending over the... Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> So she woke one night and found, uh, to the sound of crying baby, and when she went to investigate, saw the figure of a woman bending over the crib. Thinking the woman to be the baby's mother, she was shocked when the figure disappeared into the wall of the nursery. A pregnant member of the family was so shocked by the appearance on the attic stairs of Madame Minuri Canal that her dog, and her dog, sorry, she went into labor and miscarried. When a cousin of the Ruiz children named Alfrien came a visit, he scoffed at the notion of the ghost running around the house singing, Mini Canal, Mini Canal. That night, the household was awakened by the sound of Alfred screaming. When the light in his room was turned on, it revealed the youngster had the red imprint of a hand on his cheek as if he'd been ghost smacked. Years later, Teresa Ruiz, one of the children who grew up in the house, said in an interview, my Uncle Luis saw her and died right afterwards in a car accident. He was quite young. The Ruiz family continued to suffer a string of mishaps, including family members suffering mental health issues, as well as two sobering household accidents involving the children. Despite attempts at blessing and exorcism, the creepy ghost dubbed Mini Canal by the Ruiz children continued to appear for years after. Okie dokie. So don't mess with Minnie. She'll slap you in the face. No, there's something about Minnie's. There's that whole Minnie the Moocher song. I don't have to remember that, though. Go <laughs> slap. Wouldn't surprise Ghost me at all. <laughs> explains where you get clogged. Uh, Do you have cat scratch fever? It's ghost scratch here? Uh, okay, sorry, I'm stopping. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> in theory. Okay. Actually, don't stop. Just go to the next one. <laughs> so the next one is the new owner and the ghosts. Strange goings on continue on the second floor. Uh, an attorney who purchased 20, I think this is part of your still. Oh, you're right. I guess it is. Because it keeps going. Well, would you like to continue anyway? Sure or shall not. You? Okay, go ahead. An attorney who, furnished, who pur furnished, purchased 2606 Royal Street decades later spoke in an interview about the previous owner of the home, Native American who had died in unknown reasons inside the home. Family is said to have performed rituals involving the burning of juniper and sage to chase any spirits lingering in the house up the chimney where they became trapped for eternity. The attorney, the attorney said the house remained quiet during his time there, but his new neighbors advised him to leave the chimney sealed. But was it Minnie, but was Minnie Canal really gone? 
The current owner who purchased the home about a decade ago reports that strange goings-ons continue on the second floor landing where Minnie Canal was frequently sighted. The left window here won't stay closed, she said in an interview in a few years ago. It has a latch which I shut and then it just drifts open. She doesn't believe, however, that Minnie Canal is a malevolent spirit, that the gruesome tales were just an, an inevitable words are hard exaggerations for, for the sake <laughs> of good ghost stories uh, one former resident told the new owner that she'd encountered the ghost many times where she, when she lived there she said she often heard footsteps and she would see a face through the french windows an ethereal creole looking woman just looking at her they had a very peaceful coexistence whether mini canal is active inside the house these days no sorry yeah um as she was in the mid 20th century, it is said the ghost continues to walk her eternal, eternally loyal terrier around the neighborhood. Zones of cold hair hanging in her wake. Their padding footsteps echoing off the old bricks and brightly, brightly painted homes of the Falberg Margini. Margini? I said Marigny. Margini? I don't know. Words are of hard. Of the area, of yeah. the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, um, do you want to do the next one? Yes, was, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it was my fault. Well, no, I was doing something. I know, you walked away for a minute, and I was telling the story, and I stopped. And, and it looked like, it looked like I'd funny. finished, but then Tracy but picked like up where I left off because she was a nice person. So I'm going to let her no, continue. I'm evil and mean. Oh, yeah, ask, you're so horrible. Ask everyone. I'm evil and mean. Okay. Um, only, the, only the kids think that. Only the kids think that, and then they tell me, no, Grantie, no. Anywho. Uh, when the they did, okay, sidebar, we were at the park, and my two that I nanny are, you know, doing something, and I tell another little girl, please don't do that, because I'm evil and mean, I don't want you to fall, and I'm like, because I'm evil and mean, and the girls go, no, Grantie, you're not, she goes, Grantie, you are the nicest mean person I've ever met, I'll get down now, <laughs> so I am evil and mean, okay, yeah. well, I guess we'll go with that then. <laughs> Well, evil and mean one. Would you like to continue? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. When the devil lived in uh, lived on St. Gerald's Avenue. I think I've heard this story before. So the devil once lived in New Orleans. The legend goes on the devil just decided sometime in the 1820s to live in New Orleans, probably because he was used to its infrastructure and weather. Because, <laughs> you know, hot. Mm -hmm. Around 1840, Old Scratch took on one Madeleine Furneaux as his wife and built a mansion for her at 1319 St. Charles Avenue. While some say the mansion appeared overnight, others said it was built in just seven days. The house itself was oddly constructed with each room on a different floor, connected by Escher-esque stairways. It was said the devil didn't use the front door, but passed into the house high through the front gable. At sunset, he could be seen peering down the street, horns and all. I'm gonna beat myself with kitten cat. Well, you know, when you're the devil, you got that, you got that Hades money going. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You can build any house you want, any, any way you want. Exactly. <clears throat> you want Escher stairways, you know, people walking upside down and sideways. Hey, why not? <laughs> An affair doomed to hell. The devil's pale, dark-haired mistress, think French Elvira, loved the new house, which was reportedly staffed by little red demon cooks, housekeepers, and servants, like an eternally damned Downton Abbey. I have heard this before. Okay. The demons dressed her in lavish fancy clothes and adorned her with priceless bubbles. All was swell at Shea Satan until Madeline started to get bored. When the devil went out of town on business, 
like traveling up to Georgia to, to attempt to tempt Johnny with the golden fiddle, Madeline began an affair with a local Creole gentleman named Alcidic Cancien. The two carried on for some time. One can imagine the demon servants placing bets on whether the tryst would turn out badly. It turned out badly. One evening, oh, come on, I tried to scroll it down a little bit and you go down like half a page. Madeline's lover was approaching in the street with a fire-eyed, sharp-toothed stranger who asked if Miss Fr if he knew Miss Frenon. When Alice convinced they were lovers, the stranger, spoiler alert, he's a devil, offered Alice somewhere between a thousand and a million pounds of gold to leave town in the condition the couple changed their names to Monsieur and Madame L. When Alice tell told Madeline the strange offer, she knew the devil was on to her. Alicide, however, had grown tired of the affair and told Madeline at dinner that night he was ready to leave town. His paramour was under the mistaken impression that he'd taken the devil's deal and should be going with him. When he set her straight, she flew into a rage and strangled him at, with, with her dinner napkin. The enraged assault severed a blood vessel on Alicide's neck, drenching the table and his, mis and his murderous in blood. In one story, she said to exclaimed, You are gone, Alicide. I am glad. Glad! You had to go. I'm glad I killed you. Then she tried to wipe the blood off the curtains, tablecloth, and napkins, but to no avail. Sounds like something the devil's mistress might do. <laughs> Fava beans and a nice Chianti. Sorry, say that right. I can't do it. You feel better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> the devil chose this moment to return home and take in the scene of the Alicide aside. <laughs> Having already grown tired of his mistress, the devil gathered up Madeline and her fiddly napkined lover and had a late dinner on a downstairs balcony, the main course being the former couple. You mean the upstairs balcony? I don't think there's oh, a balcony downstairs. Sorry, upstairs. Yeah. No, I'm... Downstairs, they call it a patio. Well, you know, I'm thinking downstairs to the devil, <laughs> but go figure. Of course, now I'm seeing him as, as Tim Curry's devil from Legend, so, you know, anyhow. Um, the, the, being, the main course being the former couple. When he was finished devouring them, he threw their empty skin in the alleyway behind the mansion to be eaten by the critters. Having swallowed his bride, the devil left town, abandoning the mansion to time and elements. A new owner finally took renovations, new people moved in, and then the hauntings began. Residents reported that at sunset, a giant table would appear in a dining room, and a bloody murder of Alicid would be reenacted by the spirits, followed by the ghost of Madeline going from room to room with blood dripping from her hands. Ghosts were seen going up and down the stairs as unseen hands jiggled door handles. The smell of smoke wafted through the house, even when the fireplaces were cold. The horrible scene that played out nightly drove away residents, some quickly, some eventually, but always inevitably. For many years, the mansion was again forsaken and left vacant until 1878 when Laurie Beauregard, the daughter of General PTG, PGT, sorry, Beauregard, moved in with her new husband, Charles Larendon of Atlanta. General Beauregard is, sent, is said to haunt the Beauregard Keys house in the French Quarter, but that's another story. In modern times, when Charles and his new bride, Laurie, moved into the mansion, they too experienced the macabre tableau in the dining room, the ghostly arguments and otherworldly screams, the bloody figure of Madeline wiping her hands on the linens, but they weren't driven away like the previous tenants, excepting the ghosts as ghoulish but quaint housemates for the next two decades. Charles documented the nightly events, continuing to do so even after Laurie died in uh, childbirth on Independence Day, 1884, at the age of 34. Around 1909, he left the Devil's Mansion. In the ensuing years, passerbys reported seeing leering, bloody face of the Devil imprinted high above the, the mansion's facade. The Devil's Mansion was finally torn down in the summer of 1930. 
Today a hotel stands at night at 1319 Charles Avenue. Whatever the curse that was afflicting the devil's mansion appears to have disappeared to the building itself, as there haven't been any reported hauntings of, of, by the hotel staff. The devil never moved back to New Orleans, as far as we know, although he's suspected to have briefly visited during the NFC Championship game in January 2019. So are you ready for the next one, dear? Yeah. Okay. Entertain us. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> I'm not very entertaining today. Oh, the heck you aren't. Okay, I'm good to laugh out right now. We've but been anyway. entertained. Blood still drips from the attic of the Griffin House. In 1852, one Archie Griffin built a spacious stately home in the 1400 block of Constance Street. No, excuse me, Constance Street. Four huge columns welcomed guests into a mansion, which featured large rooms with 14-foot ceilings suitable for fancy parties and general high society merriment. Under the ground roof, they von Tomps... Relays. Let the good times roll? Yes. Thompson, yeah. Until the Civil War intervened. When the Union General Benjamin Butler in, entered New Orleans on May 1st, 1862, Griffin is said to have said to abscond from the house. Why he left became fodder for speculation. Some said it was fear of the wrath of the Union soldiers. Others said it was because of the evil those soldiers found in his attic when they requisitioned his mansion as a billet. The Attic of Doom. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Upon We're arriving to <laughs> occupy the mansion, <laughs> Union troops heard terrible moaning and the clanking of chains emanating from the third floor attic. Creeping up the stairs to investigate, they were met with the horrible sight of a dozen of around a dozen malnourished and abused slaves chained to the wall. Like uh, the Lorelei House. The, kind the, of. the, the, <coughs> the Lorelei the the House. Yes, thank you, Lorelei. That's you know what I meant. Abandoned to their fate by their cruel master, there was suspicion that terrible medical experiments had been inflicted upon them. Some were in such poor condition they they did not even survive their relocation to a military hospital. Griffin House was given over to the Union troops as barracks, with the dreadful attic converted into a holding cell for prisoners. In the ensuing days, two soldiers in Union Blue were arrested for looting and confined to the makeshift prison. They spent their days drinking whiskey with their guards and belting out Union marching songs like John Brown's body singing, John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. His soul's marching on. Okay. I'm kind of curious what that sounds like. But yeah, me too. What? Kind of curious what that sounds like now. So. Uh, John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. But the two prisoners oh. had, had a secret. They were not Union soldiers at all. But Confederates in stolen uniforms, they believed their only hope of survival was to stay locked up and convince their captors they were one of them. But their luck ran out. So they were kind of trying to dodge the draft, so so to speak. No, they were trying to dodge their punishment. But the Confederates had arrested them as Union soldiers. They were actually Confederates, so they must have defected at some point. Or they were in stolen uniforms and they were trying to get through the enemy lines, probably. But they were on, they the, were, they were they on their were own caught, side. But they no, they weren't. These are union officers owning the mansion. Okay, you're right. My mistake. Not owning, but this occupying. Point, the union, the union That's a better word, right? Gotcha. Occupying. Okay. But their luck ran out. As it turns out, it, it turns out that General Butler had ordered that anyone caught looting New Orleans, regardless of their uniform, was to be executed. The two soldiers, realizing they were doomed, paid off one of their guards and were handed a pair of pistols. That night, sitting on a mattress, each pointed their pistol at the other man's heart and pulled the trigger. After agreeing 
if it was one, two, three, shoot, or one, two, three. After their hearts were pierced with bullets, they bled profusely, exsanguinating through the floorboards to the, of the attic to the house below. Another version of, of the suicide story says the two men were actually Union soldiers, Captain Hughes Danvers and Quartermaster Charles Cromley, who got caught trying to rob the Union payroll to pay off their debts from gambling in the French Quarter, and subsequent, subsequently shot each other to avoid the humiliation of pros, prosecution. I can talk. Either way, you got uni, Union uniformed ghosts. I can talk. So you can see where my confusion came in here, because there's actually two different stories. One says they're Confederate, one says they're Union. Either I don't way, know. they got... I got it wrong, of, but I got it right. Instead of facing but... the gallows, they killed each other. Exactly. Okay. That's okay. the important part of the story. Back, yes. back they faced each other, yes. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, everybody. They preferred to be shot over hung. Anyway. I'm sorry. I'd rather die bleeding out than have my head self hang. You don't always die when you're hung. Or it takes forever if age. I sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the 1920s, a handyman who lived no, on the... No, 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 oh, wait, I skipped, a, I skipped one. Chains clanging, bricks flying. Griffin House was used commercially in the post-war years, serving as a perfume factory, a union hall, a mattress factory, and a lamp factory. It also became the source of many spooky happenings. Oh, sorry. What were those happenings, Jim? I was... Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying not to sneeze. Sorry. It's allergies. <laughs> in the 1920s, a handyman who lived on the property claimed to have seen things in the house but could not uh, be induced to say more. He disappeared without a trace one day. People reported hearing the jangling of chains accompanied by otherworldly screams emanating from the attic, believed to be the tortured slaves demanding vengeance on Andrew Griffin. I've seen things. Neighbor, <laughs> neighbors also witnessed the ghostly forlorn faces of the two soldiers looking out of the attic windows, mouthing the words to John Brown's body. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It's not. It's a sad thing. But in the 19, in 1936, when the building housed the lamp factory, a janitor working late on the second floor was shocked when a door burst open and a pair of boots without legs in them came pounding through the room, accompanied by the sound of John Brown's body being belted out by a pair of unseen men. He quit his job. I would have too, probably. I'm not too freaked out about stuff like that. Because, like I said earlier, shock, I've right? seen things. That same year, the factory's owner, Isadora Sealing, reported that upon arrival at the foot of the main stairs one day, a cement block flew at her from the second floor. It didn't fall. It was thrown. It never struck a stair as it came, and it landed just where we had been standing. My brother saw it coming and pushed me out of the way. It probably would have killed us if it had hit us. An immediate search of the upstairs found nothing and no one. Years later, the factory had become a boarding house, but the terrifying events continued. A, win a widow living on the second floor was sewing one day when she felt a drop of blood land on her arm. Then another and another. Looking up, she saw blood oozing through the ceiling of the third floor attic and heard the strains of John Brown's body being sung by the ghosts of the doomed soldiers. She immediately broke her lease. When her relatives came to gather her belongings, they claimed to have seen the faces of two soldiers through the attic window watching them depart. The house fell into disrepair as the 20th century passed, at one point becoming a haven for squatters who were said to have seen two tipsy men in uniform walking through the walls while singing old-timey songs. The house I wonder continued... what that song was. Gee, I can't <laughs> imagine. 
The house continued to change hands until finally being restored to its previous grandeur. The owner who bought and renovated the decaying house in 2004 said in a 2017 interview that he had been witness to no he had been witness to no drunken sa sailor songs, no blood dripping from the ceilings. Although he did add that guests that stay in the converted attic don't stay too long. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my gosh! Who wants to hear John? Uh, who wants to hear John Brown's body all night long? No. Well, I found it on YouTube. You found the, the, the lyrics? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to push play on it because I don't want to get in trouble. But you Right, know, right, right. If John Brown's body lies in Mulder in the grave three times, his soul goes marching on. The stars above in heaven are looking kindly down three times on the grave of old John Brown. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Three times his soul goes marching on. He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so true. He frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through. They hung him for a traitor, and they themselves the traitor grew. But his soul goes marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah, three times his soul goes marching on. Why is my mind putting in the hillbilly, um, <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies song as a background music for it? So we just took a little break um, because we had to deal with some children. children upstairs because they were being a little too loud, banging on the floor. But uh, I know how the song goes. This is true. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard the song Glory, Glory, Hallelujah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've heard the other version, the Seamus Kennedy yes, version. Yes. Definitely heard the Seamus Kennedy I love version. the Seamus Kennedy version. So. <laughs> so that's that's the problem I'm hearing is it's you know Glory, glory. What a hell of a way to go. Yes. But John Brown's body, uh the, the John song John Brown's body lies a mold on the grave. John Brown's body lies a mold in the grave. John Brown's body lies a mold in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Yeah. And I hear gory, gory, what a hell of a way to die. Anywho, yeah. <laughs> Seamus Kennedy, I love you to bits and pieces. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you, Seamus. Shortly. I'm sorry. I and also it. thank you to Mike for these stories that we've been doing tonight. Uh, we have How'd had you a lot try of fun. Get a hold of him yet? Yeah. Have I can't I can't find his contact, but I'll I'll keep looking. Okay. I know it's out there somewhere. But um yeah, Mike, if you're listening, and not that I think not you that are, we think but, you are, but if you but are, but if you are, thank you for these stories. We love we love telling them. It's they're fun, and it makes and you're very funny, and it makes us really want to check these places out one day. And I apologize for 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 mutilating and mutating the the names, but you know, I do my best. We yeah. do what we do. Well, we're gonna we're gonna shy away from Mike's stuff now because that was the end of his stuff. So I had to find some more. And I'd always heard about pirate ghosts in New Orleans ever since I was a kid. So I did a little digging and I found out that the uh, Ghost City Tours website actually has stories about pirates and pirate ghosts in New Orleans. So we're going to get into that real quick. Well, not real quick, but we're going to have some fun with it. <laughs> anyway, we're going to deal with the first story, which is deal with. God, I'm sorry, <laughs> folks. It's been a weird day. Anyway, we're an going to tell the story day. of Rue Orleans, the Ghosts of Pirate's Alley. Settled between St. Louis Cathedral and the Cabildo, the quiet cobblestone Pirate's Alley elicits a sense of nostalgia for days gone by. The stones beneath your shoes are uneven, jagged in some areas, smoothed in others, cast iron lampposts bracket either side of the, of the alleyway, including one in the middle, which marks the entrance to Cabildo Alley. All are slightly crooked, as if time has left its mark and the battle was a struggle. The middle lamppost boasts a red and white sign, quiet, church so. 
quiet church song. <laughs> <laughs> the time of the day marks the passage of time. In the morning, Pirate's Alley is empty, haunting. By afternoon, local artists and vendors have camped out with their paintings clipped to the fence of St. Anthony's Garden. By evening, the alley is illuminated only by the lampposts and Pirate's Alley Cafe of Absinthe House. Don't hurt yourself, dear. Folks, Adri's tired. She has dropped things on her feet a couple times and just isn't doing well. So we're going to give her a moment to pause and collect herself while I keep reading. So it seems as if there is hardly a building along Pirate's Alley, which doesn't have a great ghost story or two. Pirate's Alley certainly seems to be one of the most haunted locations in New Orleans, which is why we go there on our Ghost of New Orleans tour. So here's the history of Pirate's Alley. Pirate's Alley hasn't always been officially called as such, but local New Orleanians have preferred that name to its real one, Rue Orleans, which it was first laid out in the late 18th century, measuring 60 feet, 600 feet long sorry, and 16 feet wide. Pirate's Alley was never intended to be a main street with shops and businesses. Instead, it was meant to act as a thoroughway, or as the Brits like to call them, Snicket's Way. For early New Orleanians, Pirate's Alley created a passage between Chartres and Royal Street alongside St. Louis Cathedral. By laying out such a path, locals did not have to take the time to walk over to St. Peter or St. Anne Streets. It was originally unpaved, through the, though the cobblestones seen today were added in the, back in the 1830s. Not until the 1980s, when Jackson Square became a pedestrian mall, did Pirate's Alley become a main shopping hub. There are some notable buildings near Pirate's Alley. Uh, although Pirate's Alley was added almost as an afterthought, it is positioned amid some of the New Orleans' most historical significant buildings. First of all, we've mentioned this already, St. Louis Cathedral. Standing tall and imposing next to Pirate's Alley is St. Louis Cathedral. Though this is the third structure to have been erected on this plot of land, the first church was erected in 1727. It was named in honor of the French King Louis the... Ninth, the Saint yes. King. Sometimes I get tripped up with the with the Roman oh, italics. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the cathedral has been anointed as a basilica today, but we, uh, the New Orleanians, crave consistency, so it continues to be referred to as Saint Louis Cathedral, except for when the Pope or Bishop is due to visit, because naturally we must make ourselves as classy as possible for those rare occasions. Uh, the uh, next one is the Louisiana State Museum. The museum today consists of the Cabido and Old Arsenal and the Creole House, or Calabozo. The trio of buildings have been a major landmark in New Orleans since the late 18th century. This was the epicenter of colonial French and Spanish government buildings. The Cabildo, which literally means council, was the location of the colonial government when the Spanish first arrived after the 1762 Treaty of Fountainbleau passed. Fountainbleau. Okay, thank you. Blue. Sorry. Go so ahead. when that passed Louisiana from French into Spanish hands, they arrived to find rebellion and anger. The Frenchmen were furious that they had been traded as an act of war, French-Indian War in the North, and had been uninformed of this treaty for an entire year. That'd be a little ticked off, too. Naturally, they rebelled. Naturally, the Spanish wished to put an end to this. They sent their best general, a man named Don Alejandro Bloody O'Reilly, to squash the Fuhrer. 
He arrived in 1769 with 2,000 troops. After killing the first rebellion Frenchman, he came across and invited the rest of the leaders of the French uprising to the Cabildo for a meal to solve their problems. Allegedly, the Frenchmen scurried right down and enjoyed themselves a grand old meal. At the end, however, Bloody O'Reilly stayed true to his name. He handcuffed the men and brought them to the intersection of Esplanade Avenue and Frenchman Street, where he executed them all. And we've already had this the story, This so. is the one where it ties in with the monk. Yep. John Brown's body, Brown. all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, John's Brown. No, that's the other story. I'm was, sorry. I'm going to put it mixed song. up. Yep. The Kyrie. So, fun fact the, music, the musically inclined Frenchman Street is named after the Frenchman who lost their lives against the Spanish in the 18th century. Today, the Cabildo is one of the pride and joys of the Louisiana State Museum, housing hundreds of early colonization and 19th century artifacts within its exhibit. The artifacts even include a bronze death mask of Napoleon Bonaparte. You don't want to miss this, it says. The arsenal is technically located along St. Peter Street right off Charles Street. In 1836, Louisiana legislature mandated that a state armory was to be constructed on the property. For nearly 100 years, the arsenal contained all the weaponry within the city for the military and city police forces. When Union troops stormed into New Orleans in 1862 and occupied the city, the arsenal served as the military prison and federal headquarters. Even later, during the Reconstruction era, the arsenal remained a highly sought-after prize. For a period of three days in September of 1874, the arsenal came under control of the White League Democrats after they defeated the Metropolitan Police. Not until President Ulysses S. Grant sent federal troops was order restored within the day. In 1914, the arsenal was gifted to the Louisiana State Museum. And then we have the Calabozo, or Old Parish Prison. The Calabozo stands on the back half of the, of the Cabildo, along Cabildo Alley. Walking along Pirates Alley, you will see three antebellum mansions with beautiful wrought iron galleries. However, these homes were only constructed in the early 1840s. Before that, the plot of land was used as the French guardhouse and the Spanish Calabozo, or prison. But in fact, 20th century slang Calab Calaboose for prison is thought to have originated from the Spanish word Calabozo. Makes this sense. This is council. No, the Cabildo is council. Okay. okay. <coughs> in 1924, the Monroe News Star newspaper commented that Pirates Alley behind the Cabildo was another interesting spot, and on the walls of the courtyard where, where pirates and other prisoners were lined up and shot may still be seen holes where bullets were embedded. In reality, it's unlikely that any executions took place behind the old Calabozo. Executions were done in Jackson Square, the old Place de Armas, or within the interior courtyard of the Cabildo itself. Nevertheless, the Calabozo was certainly as it has certainly held a famous prisoner or two before it was demolished in 1837. More fun facts about Pirates Alley. St. Anthony's Garden behind the cathedral was originally a burial ground. Soon enough, it was decided that more space was needed, and many of the bones were exhumed and reinterred in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 on Basin Street. Just as many bones were lost or never moved, however. A garden was then intended for the plot of land, but its purpose quickly took a new turn. For a period of nearly 50 years, the space that is known as St. Anthony's Garden, or the Cathedral Garden, was actually a designated location for illegal deadly duels. Only during the Civil War, when duels fell into disfavor, was the site made into the garden it was intended to be. Close encounters between St. Louis Cathedral and Pirate's Alley Cafe and Absinthe House 
there is only a 14 foot difference. How many other places can you think of where religion is less than 20 feet away from a bar? <laughs> Welcome to New Orleans, my friends. And now we get into the meat of it, the ghosts of Pirate's Alley. First of all, we have the ghosts of Faulkner House Books. One of the most historic locations on Pirate's Alley is the Faulkner House Bookstore. Located right in the middle of Pirate's Alley, this bookstore was once home to William Faulkner. Faulkner stayed in New Orleans in the 1920s. He even wrote his first novel, Soldier's Pay, while staying in his house. It's rumored that the ghost of William Faulkner still resides in this house. There have been many reports of people seeing the ghosts of Faulkner still sitting at his writing desk, which is located in the store. In addition, ghostly smells of pipe smoke can sometimes be smelled wafting through the bookstore. It's well known that Faulkner liked to smoke a pipe while he wrote. This uh, Is this apparition that of William Faulkner or someone else's? On our Ghost of New Orleans tour, we spend time talking about the ghost which haunted Faulkner House Books. If you're walking through the Pirate's Alley area, make sure you stop into Faulkner House Books. They have a great selection of books on New Orleans and our history. And I like the story, but I'm going to give it to you, Tracy, because I need to take a break. My and head's about some, to explode. And drink some fluids. <laughs> I need so to catch some air. On to the legend of Jean Lafitte. Yes, I really wanted to read Lafitte. this one, but I can't write. <laughs> well, my, my mind was like, is it Lafitte or Lafitte? And it took it's me a second to translate properly both ways because it's funding me. Okay, so ever heard the famous pirate Jean Lafitte? Well, while Jean himself was never imprisoned, his brother Pierre certainly was. In 1814, the final days leading up to the Battle of New Orleans during the War of 1812, it is said that Jean Lafitte negotiated his brother, sorry, yeah, his brother's escape from prison with General Andrew Jackson along with Pirates, along Pirates Alley. In exchange for Pierre's release, Jean Lafitte agreed to aid General Jackson in the fight against the British. Legend has it that without the pirates, Jean Lafitte provided, provided for the American military, Andrew Jackson would never have triumphed over the four-part battle in the winter of 1815. We would still be under English rule if it were not for him. Sorry. But did John Lafitte really operate out of Pirate's Alley? Legend says yes. I know it's been, it was quite a romantic and fantastical ring to it, doesn't it? Over the years, there have been many attempts to argue that Lafitte and his pirate brethren operated the base along the alleyway, along, in the alleyway along St. Louis Cathedral. Some people even claimed that the fence enclosing St. Anthony's Garden behind the cathedral was once a place where pirates sold bootleg goods to the citizens of New Orleans. While it's possible that this occurred, there is no historical evidence that proves it. Jean Lafitte's quick wit and savviness is legendary, and so it seems rather than rather implausible that he would choose to conduct business in the alley that was bracketed not only by the church but also by government building and the old parish prison. An idiot, Jean Lafitte, was not. So, although it's quite fun to think that Pirate's Alley earned its name from the infamous pirate and the slice of history, it's probably nothing but a tall tale. However, it must have been enticing enough. In 1928, the famous novelist William Faulkner moved to the second floor of 624 Pirate's Alley. It is said that he was lured in by tales of Jean Lafitte and his interactions with General Andrew Jackson, but also by the haunted tales told of the old, of the old parish prison, or the Calabozo check out her ghost tours, learn more about this. Jean Lafitte or another pirate? Many people have reported seeing the ghost of Jean Lafitte walking up and down the pirate's alley, but is it really him? Another legend states it's act not actually Lafitte, not Lafitte's apparition, which is spotted in the early mornings, but another man named Reginald Hicks. 
As the story goes, Hicks was traveling on a ship in the Atlantic when the vessel was captured and ransacked by pirates. He was just a boy, and the pirates opted to take him with him and raise him. By the time of the war 1812, Hicks had become a strapping first mate aboard a pirate ship. Allegedly, Hicks is one of the men who traveled with Lafitte to greet Andrew Jackson. But it was it was during this time in New Orleans that they had the opportunity to meet Marie Angel Beauchat, the beautiful French Creole girl. They fell desperately in love, but all too soon they discovered she was pregnant. Hicks refused to have this child be labeled illegitimate. He and Marie immediately sought the priest to marry them, but they had limited time. The war was rapidly approaching, and they could only think of think in German minister that was, interestingly enough, doing time at the old parish prison. Hicks and Marie begged the prison guard to let them in. Although they were married, the German minister was, for, was forced to do so by the Iron Gate of Pirate's Alley. Their marriage was officiated by the church, and papers were drawn at the cabina to do so. Okay. But what happened to Hicks after? It was thought that he was killed during, world, during the war, leaving his beloved Marie a widow so early in their marriage. Today, many couples chose to get, choose to get married at the Pirate's Alley, just as Reginald Hicks did. But his ghost? Is it said that Hicks' spirit still haunts Pirate's Alley early in the morning? People have reported hearing wedding bells and sounds of ghostly laughter, even as the alley is completely empty. No one has to wonder, is the pirate Hicks? And if so, is he still searching for his wife even after death? Ghost of a priest. <clears throat> Pardon my wheeze. In the early colonization period, a Capuchin monk, Pierre Dagobert, arrived I can do this, arrived recently in, and settled at the recently settled New Orleans as pastor, we've heard this one, yes. at St. Louis Cathedral. You can uh, stop telling this one. We, we already did this one. We did, Brother O'Reilly. <laughs> History goes around. Ah, how about the last part here? The ghost prison of Pirate's Alley. Sure. When you look at the haunted location, one of the first thoughts that come to mind is, why is this place so haunted? What traumatic events happened here? Well, it's a ghost prison. Um, who was attached to this property? All these questions were answered, when answered, can help you start to unravel the mystery that who might be haunting a location. When we started researching the ghost of Pirates Alley, we looked into the history of the buildings which lined the alley. Well, turns out the one of the old prisons in New Orleans was located in the alley. While researching the prison, we uncovered many ghost stories that were told by prisoners. Now, that's an amazing find. Not only did we confirm that many ghosts in the hauntings of, of the alley, but it can be attributed to the prison. We also found that firsthand accounts of the prisoners themselves and the, about the hauntings of the alley. On Ghosts of New Orleans tour, the tour guide will tell you a number of these stories, including one that was documented by one of the wardens of the prison. The prison isn't around anymore, however. It roughly occupies the area of Faulkner House books and surrounding areas. If you look on the outside of Faulkner House books, you'll even find a marker of the old prison. Dun, 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 dun. Well, it wasn't easy, but we got through it. Sorry, folks. Tongue twister. Yeah. Sorry, folks. Well, French words are hard for me. I will admit that freely. And we're talking about New Orleans, and there's All a lot French. of French influence there. Yeah. But, I mean, it was fun. We enjoyed it. <laughs> I um, want to go back. Yeah, after reading those stories, I kind of <laughs> want to go just to visit those spots. Last time I was 15 and didn't get to do hardly anything fun. 
Not that I want, not that I do much fun stuff right now anyway, but I don't drink. I mean, well, occasionally I had a drink. Well, at least you've been there. I've been there. I, I can't say that. I can honestly say it was, it was perfect. The, the, when we went, it's always humid over there. Mm -hmm. the, the one week we were there, it, we came in, it was, it was the perfect temperature. There was nice breezes. The day we left, the humidity hit. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm happy we're leaving. <laughs> yep. Oh, before we go, I also wanted to give a shout out to Karma. Yes. Karma, yay, Karma. Karma Wild. She's had some issues. Um, she's trying to get the uh, the Brooke Hansen case solved. And she's getting, getting closer. Getting blocked. She was blocked particularly by a cursed piece of concrete. That's all I can say. It sounds yeah. weird. It does sound weird, weird but, but it's real. But describe it. So, it's, it, no piece of concrete that is laying on a table not attached to power source of any kind should have an alternating current of 320 to zero on a voltmeter right i mean it's not attached it's not attached to an electronic source it's, not. it's just generating this current and which the, is and it's got didn't car say it, it's, it's got, got a woogie it, it's it had, got a bad vibes it had a woogie to it so we all yeah. we all the, the four of us got we to all sit called each and, other on phones and and, and set our prayers me being the, the person i am I'm walking through now. Now, mind you, my roommates are looking at me like I've lost my damn mind for half a second to let tell us what's going on. And they start gailing, walking through the house, going, I need this. You? No. I'll put you back. This? Yes. Okay. Crystal from all around the house. Do I need this? No. This? Yes. This? That? That? And things are telling her what, what, whether she needs them or not. I've got. She can read stuff. I've got like eight crystals around the, the computer. I'm wearing three pieces of tiger eye. Got the whole nine yards going, and we're going through there, and I'm getting, oh, and three candles, sorry, a white candle, a red candle, and a black candle. Okay, well, if you're going to start being a pest, I'm going to start being a pest back at you. I'll start finding you in this crystal here, the crystal that had volunteered. Cool, cool, cool. Pull, dip, go. It's getting snarly. We're having, you guys heard laughter on my end? It sounded like you were laughing. Like you. I was reading the prayer with her mm -hmm. muttering it under my breath because I didn't really because every time we, we synced up I would lose her and lose you guys. Now, now just to preface this we were having intermittent communication and issues with you. And freezing with some of the weirdest expressions on your face and But stuff. even when, you're, when your screen froze we could hear laughter. Well it wasn't me laughing I was doing the prayers and as, and as I am binding it I'm about to start doing the triple dip because mm -hmm. you, you Bind it once, bind it twice, bind it thrice, okay? The third do it, I hear on Karma's end, a very masculine... <sighs> wasn't us. Well, I know it wasn't you guys, because my, my screens light up. Kind of like, okay, we're doing this, fine. It's yeah. like, okay, we're going to do this, fine. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go through there, and then... Let's do it. I, as I've got it sealed in the wax, my, I'm, my spirit companions are going, more. So I'm looking around, what can I put this into? In my room, I got various things. Okay, I was going for a little pill bottle. What I grab, and it's gonna be permanently encased in this, is a Jello mold for Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. Yes. <laughs> I chose not to put it in the bunny-faced Jello mold. That would be just creepy. No, that would that would have been you know, I think it would have gotten extra angry with me. Yeah, probably. So I put it in just, it a face. in just the egg part. Right, right. 
Well, as I walk away, I mean, putting down, I'm peering around the house because the roommates are like, what the hell is going on now? And so fill them in and they're giggling because I'm carrying around this jello mold. I have to let it cool down before I can put it down anymore. I have to figure out where I'm going to put it, mm-hmm. where it'll be safe. And as I'm walking around, I'm hearing, go, go, Godzilla. <laughs> and it's not coming from it. It's coming from my cheering squad, my spiritual cheering squad. Go, go, Godzilla. And I'm like, okay. Well, I put it down. It, it's in my room. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's, it's in an awarded area because, hi, my name is Tracy and I have a few crystals. Just a few. And as I, I walk out of the room... The cheering squad shuts up. Everything's quiet. Walk back in. Go, go, Godzilla. Guys, you can't keep singing this to me right now. I've got work to do. I didn't realize your spirit <laughs> companions were Blue Oyster Cult fans. Um, you know, <laughs> my my uh, spirit companions are just as demented as I am. Uh-huh. I think I inherited one of them from my mother, so go figure. Aga is going to do that. Um, True that. But, yeah, it... it I walk in my room and I get playing of it, but the, the next time, if we need to do this again, the other crystals have all started in with the, the I can feel the pulling of, we can, we'll do this. And That's I've true. got That's a true. stack of votives because votives. Now, now, to be fair, we did do the prayers. Yep. We did not do the exorcism right no, though. We, we, we did not do the She exorcism. wasn't ready for that. She wasn't ready for it. Just the invocations is what we did. And uh, so, you know, if you've never done uh rights or anything like that it's kind of a weird experience in, in some cases and ours it definitely was because we were having weird glitches we were hearing like i said we heard laughter we heard laughter that sounded like tracy and tracy wasn't laughing um tracy's hearing harumphs and yeah, go-go I'm, godzilla and yeah, I, you know, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm hearing, stuff like that I'm, I'm catching the patterns in the 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 glitching and i think even karma said she heard a few things too on our end she heard the laughter that sounded like you. She said she heard it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me. I was saying the prayers yeah. along with, and, I've been, and the whole time, no, I'm not Catholic. Yeah, I went to Catholic high school. There are certain prayers that resonate with me, so I'm saying along because they actually stuck in my, my medieval brain. Right. My, my, my Wiccan pagan going to hell on a handbasket, but that's okay because my level of hell will be most Christians... Um, Torture. I'll be sucked up. I'll have my toes sucked on by blondes. So all your friends will be there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it would be torture because you're on my toes. But anyway, um, I'm going through, and I'm, I, prayers are popping up that I hadn't thought of remembered, and I'm instinctively doing things. I'm crossing myself. I'm starring myself, and I thought that I was doing zodiac type signs and sigils. I don't know where these sigils came from, but as I'm thinking back in the muscle memory, I'm like, oh, I was doing a binding. I was doing a... Di- I don't know this one, mm-hmm. but evidently, I needed it. Well, somebody gave it to you. Somebody you gave it to me. Were there, Somebody so. did not want that thing out and about, so mm-hmm. currently, at least part of it is bound up in wax. Yes, folks, you may, not, you may not believe any of this, but you had to be there. And we were. And, and <laughs> this is not my first time dealing with the dark, slimy things that get stuck in, in wrong areas. It is for me, but I, it was kind of what I expected it to be. You know, it wasn't the, the whole Hollywood exorcist sort of thing or anything like that. It was no, just no, no. simple binding. And apparently things have been good so far. 
If we want to talk about okay. these, we can do it in the future. Yes. Things I have had to, to help trap. We can definitely do that in the future. But for now, we're going to call it a night because it's getting late and we're tired. And yes, we're pressed for time. So, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hearts and parts. Stay spooky. And lastly, cue the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>